Welcome to the True Logic, the podcast edition, the place where we talk about trends, news, and insights for businesses and individuals who want to succeed in digital marketing. Join our host, SEO expert and certified mama's boy, Burn Sun Wan, as he gives you insights on digital marketing fundamentals, tips and best practices, and easy conversations with industry experts about the latest trends and happenings in the digital world. Let's get started. So let's talk career. You graduated what? Was it 02, 01? Yes, actually, I have two degrees. Burned. I noticed. Okay, so, <laughs> so the first one was business management. So I was a graduate mm-hmm. of uh, College of St. Benil back in 2002. And then after that, so I worked for a real estate business for mm-hmm. several months only. And then I decided to go back to school and study accounting. So mm-hmm. that was like around from 2003 up to 2006. Okay. Yeah. So that's my educational background. So I'm curious, it sounds like they made you go through the whole accountancy course again. Normally when you've got a degree, don't you just add on like the years of the major? Yes, it should be, should be. Because other programs, so a little bit of the backstory, my first college degree, I came from a boys' school, eh? So mm-hmm. I came from LSGH back then. Uh, it was all boys and now it's co-ed na, no? like Zobel. So of course you're excited. Okay. And then at that time, no, I just wanted to go to a school na, hey, I wanted to just, you know, enjoy uh, major in partying <laughs> and socializing. <laughs> so sure. My uh, learning academics. <laughs> my learning academics. Exactly. So what happened was, uh, there you go. So I, I wasted, well, not really wasted. I enjoyed those four years, but then I was able to maximize it. Of course, there mm-hmm. were realizations about it. Of course, education, you, you can never go wrong with education. But then I wasted it. So I have decided, hey, wait, I want to start from scratch somewhere. And then I wanted to take up accountancy first because something like I wanted to prove something to myself. My father at that time was an accountant. But then at that time, I had a marketing job in a real estate, mm-hmm. although several months long. But then somehow I wanted an intersection of, you know, business and marketing. But I decided to take up, instead of an MBA, I took up accounting. So I had, in short, going back to your question, it should have been two more years na lang. Mm -hmm. But then at that time, my accounting grades, although it's a business degree, my accounting grades were like not so satisfying for schools offering second degree programs to accommodate me. So I so they asked do... you to retake some of the other yes. courses in the major. So, okay. Actually, I took it for two years. That's a fast track mm-hmm. already. So right. two years instead of taking it for four or five. But it's a pretty odd origin, no? So how does a business management turned accountant become a content writer, become a digital marketer? Like, how did that get started? Okay, so I started with LinkedIn, you know. Um, LinkedIn, you know, LinkedIn... I started using LinkedIn in 2009. At that time, LinkedIn was not interactive. No? It's more right. of like an online resume. It's like a lottery ticket waiting for recruiters, the usual, waiting mm-hmm. for recruiters to pick up your name, to drop by your profile. And then there you go. You're just waiting for calls. That's it. And mm-hmm. then there was a time that LinkedIn bought a platform, a blogging platform. 
So mm-hmm. I think it's named Pulse back then. I am not sure what year it was. So he started, why not? I wanted to write something. Because when I took my second degree, I was into writing. Everyone knows how mm-hmm. to write naman. But of course, you writing about anything just to uh, put your thoughts out there because I'm an introspective person based on the Gallup 2.0 Strengths Finder uh, test I took. So mm-hmm. I need to write it down. So just to validate that point. So there, I maximized the platform until 2019. I saw this, you know, inside tracker. Hey, wait. So no likes, no shares, but I see the views. So there are so many people reading the content mm-hmm. or viewing the content. Even there's no right. likes, but someone's reading it. So why not I build it on? And I, I didn't know really what I was doing. I just wanted to put my thoughts out there, document it. And then surprisingly, I have created a career out of that. So that's the story why I, I was into content writing. So it evolved. Right. So through LinkedIn, I just share my thoughts. I noticed that people were approaching me not just for a job, but more of gigs. Mm-hmm. Hey, do you want to speak for us? Hey, do you want me to feature your article? I saw your article. So it evolved. So I noticed a lot of opportunities through that. No? So mm-hmm. 2018, 19 onwards, that is how it started. Right. So that's the trigger, 2019. 2018, so, sorry. But, but, you know, a couple of gigs don't necessarily mean digital becomes the career decision, no? Do you remember the point in time where you thought, oh, you know what, this is for me? Like, this is career material. Was it, what Did you get to a point in time where you felt like you had to make a deliberate decision? Uh, everything that I will do will be in digital channels. The community I want to impact is a digital community. Like, was it a deliberate decision? It was not a deliberate decision. As I've said, I didn't know what I was doing. I thought that, you know, being like a social media manager was like a functional social Mm -hmm. media manager. Posting content is, that's digital marketing, that's online marketing, but it's deeper than that. So it came along the way when, you know, people started going to me, trying me out. Like, let's see, let's do Mm -hmm. this for three months and then let's see what happens. So... It's more than content posting. To be honest with you, as I've said, it's more than writing. So right. I would recall this write-up. I think it's coming from the Rich Dad Poor Dad, the best-selling versus the best technical writers thing. I think he brought mm-hmm. that up. So those things. So whatever converts into something. Okay. Into something. And it depends so at what point your, then yeah. in your journey... Did you start looking in a mirror and where you started seeing a digital marketer? Like at what point did you start identifying with that terminology? When I started writing, monetizing my write-ups, right? Mm-hmm. So it all started uh, full bloom when I started uh, going all in for Medium, mm-hmm. medium.com. So right. there's a paywall in Medium. So I started about writing, you know, uh, at that time it was lockdown, it was pandemic, you know, 2019 and then pandemic came. Okay, so I, I was just curious about, okay, I'll push out many content. Jarvis or Jasper was not yet around. OpenAI was not around. I'll just learn the patterns of doing right. uh, a of articles. There were a few, but you know, I have to admit, they were bad. Like I was experimenting with supposed AI-powered content writers as early as maybe 2017 or 2018. All of them were bad. Like all no of meat. them were bad. No meat. It didn't matter whether they were Silicon Valley founded or whether they yeah. were Israeli founded or, you know, all of these places that found all of these great technologies. 
Uh, up until I would say up until Jasper, which was still Jarvis back then, mm-hmm. they were all bad. <laughs> yeah, it was like a commodity. So like let's right. say you would yeah, no meat at all. But it's becoming a threat. But right. anyway, um, you need to up your game, right? If right. you don't want to be beaten by the robots, then you need to up your game. So then so, so I started with pre-pandemic, with what kind of projects would you have taken on? Like before the pandemic, what kind of businesses did you wind up working with? What kind of projects did you wind up taking on? Like wh- what part of digital were you working on prior to the lockdowns? So by starting writing articles, it evolved, right? So mm-hmm. there were businesses approaching me. If I can help them for the SEO, you know, they're vying for their searchability. And of course, what I did, it's more of really saying yes without knowing what's... I know about the search engine results, but I don't know how to get there. I, I thought it was like more of like a one-shot approach as long as I use the keywords and that's it. But, right. but it's more than that. So that evolved. No? So I started researching, using RFs, using those tools. It's a long game. So I've learned mm-hmm. that it's a long game. Well, quick win, I, it's more of really looking at the low keywords, but there's still people searching for those low keyword so it's more of really you know um, accepting projects and you know learning from there okay so there um another thing is more of like um leads in terms of advertisement so in terms of of course i need to leverage uh as i've said i'm right. more of a content writer but it's more of really i don't need to know them all the technicalities right. of that right. so it's more of being understanding the context mm-hmm. of each and how each platform works and then I would leverage with other partners. So I'm like the account manager when I face people, you know, uh, right. clients, if they would want to see how they would, you know, whatever their objective is, whether it's about gaining attention or interest, or, you know, it's more of really getting leads, warm, hot leads and converting right. them to sales. Okay. Did you notice any difference in your product? Like, what was the demand like? Like, let's say when COVID hit. I would have assumed that digital should have gained a pretty hot demand during the lockdown. Mm-hmm. Although, of course, people were slashing their marketing budgets at the same time, right? Exactly. Uh, yes. How did you find the demand environment from 2019 or all the way to like just post-lockdown, March 15, yes. 16, 2020? Back then in pandemic, well, people were more freely having issues with their cash flow. Right. Um, at least for in on my end. Well, in general, yes. So... They're trying to work on to sustain their business. Of right. course, they have um, operational expenses to sustain. Right. So somehow, you know, uh, it's worth losing, mm-hmm. losing clients at the time. It, it was hard times. And I, I believe um, that speaks for all. No? Mm-hmm. So it's more of really, you know, um, how do I sustain? Right. So that's a challenge for most of us and myself also. Right. But I think for most people, especially that do independent contributions, a lot of it really had to do with do you have one, two, three key relationships, key clients that can keep food on the table? Uh, yes. For, for most of the freelancers I know, like that was it. No, like they felt like they owed their survival to that one key relationship, two key relationships, three key relationships. The big tickets. When did you? Yeah. Yeah. And so when did you notice the demand start to pick up from there? Yeah, when, uh, back in 2021, so mm-hmm. it's like, you know, the first 16 months, I guess, was like, you know, um, the market was in, in panicky mode. Right. So everything was like, um, businesses were like assessing their situation. What can they say first? What can, it's like, you know, reassessing their priorities. Right. 
right? Um, of course, they would want to push more sales coming in. They're trying to look at their outstanding receivables, trying to you know get every single cent to be collected. Right. Those were, were the first 16 months. And right. then post that period when they say, hey, so here's the rhythm, they were able to get up on their feet you know adjust their campaigns adjust their right. you know so there how much of the acquisition and the pickup came from relationships you had before and how much of the pickup came from new relationships entirely yeah so it's more of new relationships post the 16 month period okay so back then no there were more of like one time customers no and i have very right. minimal um recurring at that time right no? Did you notice a change in demand? Like, were the things that were getting asked of you 2019 and earlier the same things that were getting asked of you 2021 onwards? Did you notice a shift in what the demands that people had? Or or was it pretty much the same? Like, did they have the same content requirement? Did they have this the same content needs? Like, were the instructions and the output the same? Did they change? Mm. Well, it's a case-to-case basis. Uh, there are many variables to be considered, um, Bernard. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for that question, of course, they're considering the most cost-efficient. It's a noisy world out there, right? right. So customers are now really, um, should they say, not just stringent in the budget. And there are so many people out there who are offering, you know, low balling. And that's the reason why I want to sit down with these people, understand their current landscape, getting where they want to go Mm -hmm. from point A to point B, what campaigns did they, you know, uh, did previously. So I didn't mind if I'm giving away things for free. Right. That actually creates value, right? Like I think one of the things that make prospects fall in love with us as a provider is most of the time people will ask them, what are your SEO goals? What are your keyword targets? How many of them would you like on the first page? The line of questioning, we have tend to be very different. Like when we talk to them, I think it's more similar to your lines of questioning where we ask them, uh, okay, who are you? Who do you serve? And what problem of theirs are you solving? Right? Like most of it, that's primarily what we're interested in. Clearly, a lot of your work impacts the SEO, the optimization of the websites and of the businesses that you work on. Mm-hmm. And so you sort of have to know, how do I fit this story in? How do I fit this article in into the narrative that this brand is trying to say, how it conveys the way it solves a problem? So mm-hmm. I think if you don't understand it, you're just creating, like you might as well generate it on Jarvis. You might as well generate it on ChatGPT, right? Because, okay. you know, I think they're terrific, but they don't really understand your market, right? Like, if you told uh, ChatGPT to write an article that, let's say, appealed to, let's say, a common Filipino mom, the domestic engineer mm-hmm. of the house, right? Would it know whether she's a working mom or not? Would it know whether she's budget conscious or not, right? Like, right. would she know what big considerations she would have, like, in order to make that selection? I would argue it doesn't. Yet, so there are really still a lot of things that marketers can do. Like I think it's terrific. Like I, I usually brainstorm I ideas, right? Mm-hmm. Like even the scripts. Like I think our our team was joking earlier. <laughs> we just came from two different recordings. Yes, and we use Chat GPT to help us generate those scripts, but we never make it do it for us. So it's never a done for you process. Most of the time, we brainstorm with it, and then if you are very exposed to the topic, you sort of pick up like. You know, whether it's making up stuff because it still does, right? Like it still does. It is. It does. It does. So, yeah. so 
I think in that situation, asking questions that talk more about the brand and the business and the goal of the business versus asking the tactical questions like, okay, how many keywords do you want to rank for? And Mm -hmm. okay, how many articles do you want me to write? Like everybody will ask them that, but asking them a question like, okay, who are we writing this for, right? Like what kind of customer are we writing this for? And what is their emotional bullseye? And when they look at your brand, what are they thinking, right? Like to you in their life, who are you in their life? Like you as a brand, let's say you're tied. Okay, Tide, who are you in the life of your customers? Breeze, who are you in the life of your, like Starbucks, who are you in the life of a podcaster? Like like they sort of have to figure that out, right? And I think brands find it refreshing to have that conversation because I think they rarely get a chance to really thresh out their identity with other people they talk to, like especially not providers, right? Like especially not vendors. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's one thing that differentiates you from everybody else that competes with you in the field. Is there a common ask? Are you finding any common feedback that come from the different people you work with? Like, have you discovered that, oh, it seems like this always matters. Oh, it seems like this is always important. Yeah, like what you've mentioned, um, they're really particular on the meat. Like, let's say when I, you mentioned it already, right? What the robot can't do. Like, let's say, if you had noticed, like you mentioned about, can mm-hmm. you generate me this article in 500 words about this and that? So right. if you notice, try try to notice it. You will always see that daunting and challenging, you know, whatever it is. You always right. see those words. And when I see that, I mean, okay, fine. When I see that in articles or some website, uh, oh no, okay, you didn't edit it. Yes. You just throw it out there and that's it, yes. right? And I hate and articles is, like that. It's negative scripting. (laughs) Exactly. So uh, I agree with you in terms of, you know, the persona. The more you niche down, the more you would be, you know, hitting home run, right? So as I've said, circling back to, you need to up your game. Right. Yeah. Some of the examples I like to give are, or take, for example, let's say IKEA, right? Like, let's say you were producing Mm -hmm. content for IKEA. And... IKEA does not treat the Philippine population like a monolith, right? Like they understand that there are different personas. You know, oddly enough, they also understand that most of the decision makers they will talk to will be women. (laughs) Like I think brilliant on them, right? But they will talk to... Details. Yeah, they'll talk to a young couple differently than the way they will talk to, let's say, an urban tita, right? Or an urban tito. They will talk to them differently. The verbiage is different. The creatives are different. The pain points are different. The emotional decision makers are different. So I think it's great when brands understand that and when they can explain that to the vendor, which is usually us, Mm -hmm. so that we know how to help them create the content. Okay, so if you're saying that this is the person we're talking to and this is the problem we're trying to solve and that this is their emotional buying criteria, Mm -hmm. here's your content, right? Mm -hmm. Which is drastically different from, okay, let me vomit 700 words of content. (laughs) On your page with some keywords sprinkled in there. <laughs> and then, you anybody, know, pray to the gods of Google that... <laughs> anybody can do that. that it, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I will argue Jasper can do that. I will argue ChatGPT can do that, right? But that's not mm. marketing. That's just content production. Okay. Exactly. So part of what you do is you do consulting. But if I'm not mistaken, you also help out uh, emerging digital marketers, like people that want to get into the digital marketing game. Like, yeah. do you mentor younger digital marketers, younger writers? 
and so on and so forth. I would be careful using the word mentor because as I okay. said, I'm just young in the game and I'm also learning, but it's more freely working with them. Mm-hmm. Of course, I would love to join communities. I learn, I teach. So it works two ways, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm ca- careful with that mentor thing. So okay. I always wear so, my cloth myself without my learning glasses. Okay. So expand on what you mean when you say you teach. Can you expand mm-hmm. on that a bit? Of course, in terms of uh, the life stage of, like, let's say, small businesses, right? So, like, let's say um, they're already using tools already, right? They're already pretty much aware. Like, let's say they're some who has yet adapted. They're early mm-hmm. adapters. They are guys using it, but not really maximizing it. There are people already in the stage of growth stage already. Mm-hmm. So, different life stages. So, right. me is more really the early adopters. Um, mm-hmm. Or those small businesses or guys who have yet optimized it. Like for instance, very uh, this is a no-brainer. Like let's say in terms of like um, company now using a CRM tool, or there's no means of you know sustaining the relationship with their customers, and they would like to leverage about email marketing. So those right. stuff. Like let's say the platforms they're not aware. Oh yes, they are aware that hey, ConvertKit is existing or. You know, uh, MailChimp is existing, but they don't know right. how to really use it in a way that would work in their favor. Something like that. Right. Okay. So for a person that teaches what is on your personal learning wish list, like what are the items on your learning wish list? Wish list is more free. Uh, probably more of um, my exposure is more of like what I've said, um, small businesses mm-hmm. in terms of being exposed to more like the corporate landscape, well, it's a different ball game. Mm-hmm. So that I would want to be more exposed to. The campaigns would not change. End of the day, it's, these are tools, right? We're using right. tools. And those tools are somehow attributed to the audience. You're finding your audience. So in terms of, you know, those tools, you associate with the audience. Like, right. like earlier, um, I had uh, an engagement with vets. Okay, so mm-hmm. not not all of them are into it yet. So they raise questions, hey, you know, how about farmers? I'm targeting them. So I would not go to Instagram and, you know. <laughs> no, no. You know, so something like that. So Also, I doubt I doubt the farmers are on Instagram, right? Yes, like of one course, of the things you got to do is you have to be in the channel they're in. Exactly. So there were like people sharing, um, like, so what they do, it's more into text blasting still, because mm-hmm. of course they're not accustomed to it. So in terms of what they text, whether it's like a happy birthday note or whatsoever, it's more free targeting right. the emotions because farmers are like in their 60s or 70-ish. Right. their profile. So it means a lot for them to get those, you know, right. personal messages, package as a personal message. So those things. Okay. If you were going to give advice to, let's say, somebody that might be five to 10 years younger than you, what skills would you would you tell them to sharpen up on? Writing. Okay. Well, I'm speaking because that's my experience. And then from writing, it would evolve. Just be curious about, you know, beyond that. So Right. Right. Like what I've said, I started with writing. I didn't know that, you know, I could use my content. I could draw attention to it. Mm-hmm. The time that I started, you know, speaking about this, 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 people started to recognize me as, you know, 
hey, this is a coach, right. and they would start right. asking me questions. I'll, uh, so so we, we, this, this is like, you know, digress warning, right? Like digress digression warning. One of the companies I used to work with, I think way back, 05 or 06, might be 06, is a company called iFloor.com. And the founder's name was Steve Simonson. I love him to bits. He's from uh, Bellevue, Washington. And, and the story is very similar to what you are talking about, right? Like Steve did experiments. iFloor wound up being the largest flooring retailer in the U.S. I can't remember the figures anymore. There was a year where we were a $65 million business. And then there was a year where we were way more than that. But Steve broke through e-commerce with content. Like when he was trying to figure out, oh, what's this? Because I, I, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar. Washington is, is home of Microsoft, right? Like Jeff Bezos is from there. It's no surprise that Bill Gates is from there. Microsoft is based there. Jeff Bezos is there. There are a lot of tech companies that are in Seattle, in Seattle, Washington, like in that area, Bellevue, Kent, Seattle. So that area. And before Steve, you know, dove into the water with both feet. He was testing whether there was a market for flooring. He he was already into flooring, but he was he was trying to see would people really go online for flooring? Right? Like would, would people really go online for flooring? Like I mean he thinks in his yeah. head, no, this is great and this is romantic, but you know, mm-hmm. will people really be crazy enough to buy like cartons and cartons and thousands and thousands of dollars of flooring online? So he started by doing a, a content experiment. He started publishing content on flooring and he knew his stuff about flooring. He started mm-hmm. publishing content about wood floors and engineered floors and carpeting mm-hmm. just to see if people would look for that content and would read that content. And sure enough, like there, there was a market online, like there were people that were on informational flooring journeys online, right? Interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah, super, super. <laughs> I, and you know, I still remember like, the story so stuck with me, I can still tell it. Like you could get me drunk and I can still tell this story. So <laughs> I go get it. So later. and then he wanted to know, okay, so sure, there are people that research flooring online. Seems like duh, that's a no-brainer. Are people willing to pay for this kind of information? Right. So he expands on the content, he locks his content behind a paywall just to see if people would pay for resources like that. And people were paying, like they were downloading the PDFs, they were downloading the documents, the instructions, the guides, like what flooring is best for 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 what area in a house. And people were paying for it, even when he put it behind a pay gate. And he goes, wow, well, if people are willing to pay for information about flooring, then they must be willing to purchase flooring online. Mm-hmm. Right. So so he used to joke. I don't think it was a joke like he but he always delivered it like a joke. He used to joke. Ifor's first employee was his mom, which is probably true, right? Because that was their first warehouse. So he is he is this, you know, mom's garage startup kind of guy. Yeah, usual story. So yeah. right. And then they 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 put the inventory there. They started selling the most popular brands. They started selling the most popular brands. Uh and then he started getting orders, like they started getting orders, and he del- he remembers delivering them. But you know, from the first two, three, four orders. In a matter of like two years, iFloor was was millions of dollars worth. And then it was, you know, in, in a matter of three, four years, it was in two, three different countries. And wow. I remember getting in and there were like 60 plus of us. And I remember staying there for three years. And by my third year, there were like 200 yeah. plus of us. And he started putting up stores in, in like dozens of locations across the U.S., 
And so I, I remember the story because we were talking about like, like doing experiments and trying to yeah. understand, you know, like how does content help you like sharpen up your writing? Because Steve's not a writer, like by any stretch of the imagination. He's an entrepreneur. Uh-huh. But you know that that's sort of how he got into it, right? Like he never imagined like writing flooring guides was gonna open a multi-million dollar e-commerce business, but it but it did, right? So agreed. So a a your yeah. first tip for people that are listening to us is sharpen up on their writing. What would you say would be the next biggest advice you'd give them? Well, everybody loves a free taste nowadays. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, well, people abuse this thing, but I still employ it, embrace it. When I say uh, everybody loves a free taste, you mentioned about, you know, um, hiding content in the pay gate. And then let's see right. if people will download it or pay it right now. It's, a, you know, right now people pretty much abused it. But anyway, right. um, I still do that. But of course... When I'm there already, like let's say, like whether it's a free ebook or a free consulting, it, it must be noteworthy of their time downloading it. It All must right. be noteworthy of their time. Must be truly valuable, correct? Exactly. So, well, in terms of well, it's not scalable thing to do unless you're offering big ticket items, right? Mm-hmm. So it's worth sitting down. I mean, if you're just starting, then why not offer it for free? Because right. during that forum, they would see how you approach things. So there are a lot of things that can happen in 30 minutes. Right. Right. So it's your time to, you know, to showcase what you can offer. Right. The so, same do time. you go around? Do you join communities? Like, like do you... Do you join communities like you join like Blogapalooza is is one of those things that would make sense to mm. me. Those guys are bloggers, they're content creators. Do you mm. join content creator communities in the Philippines or or, in, or in, elsewhere? Yeah, in the Philippines I don't have, but I have I have a community sponsored or actually it was launched by Tim Denning. Most people mm-hmm. know Tim Denning because uh, I have enrolled one of his courses. Yeah, so writing communities I do have around three communities so it's very helpful because you know it would up your game somehow mm-hmm. and of course you're not always in shape or on top of your, of your game but when you see the channel just you know lurk what they're talking about it would pretty much give you that boost again you say okay so i'm i'm okay now so <laughs> right. let's start all over again something like that so it, it's right. somehow motivating you'll get a lot of you know a lot of nuggets there if you're part of a community. Okay. So what I would say, and this is sort of like the portion where the where the podcast wraps up, where what one, two, three pieces of advice would you give the people that listen? Like maybe I would assume these are people that are probably five, 10 years younger than you and probably mm-hmm. 20 years younger than me. <laughs> so if, if we were getting listened to by people that are, let's say, 5, 10 years younger than you and 20 years younger than me. You look young. You uh, look young. Thank you. Thank you. It's the lighting. <laughs> you, you saw Brian fixing it a, a while ago. <laughs> so if there were if there were these guys, right, like that are like 5, 10 years younger than you, 20 years my juniors, and, you know, they do want to look in the mirror and see a digital marketer. They do want to mm. break into the space. They do want to contribute to the to the internet economy. What's the top one, top two tips that you would give young people to be able to mm. break through the game, to be able to gain experience, just in order to start yeah, building sure, their sure. career in the digital field? 
So first, I think it's you know it 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 knows no age. I guess it's this sounds superficial, but then anyway, I'll just still say it. You know, um, just just do it because a lot right. of people, well, coming off if right, someone is someone would would wait for for instructions. Step one, two, empty, and then there you go. So that was me before. So anal- right. analysis paralysis. I would buy courses you know i spent thousands in courses but on books also white pages right. i mean but it it didn't get me started right so those are head knowledge it would somehow spike you up motivate you but then if right. you just don't do it then nothing will happen so right. it's just a matter of right. not thinking so it's my practice right now so i i won't think i just do it right okay okay so, so that's terrific so that's advice number one I've got a I've got a segue story warning like related oh, go to ahead. that. Go ahead. Go ahead. So uh th- so the segue warning related to that is uh, I remember I hired uh, an engineer. I didn't hire him to be an engineer. So we call them digital marketing assistants and they are the people we groom to become social media specialists, SEO specialists, mm. they become analysts eventually like when they're great at data analytics, when they're better at data science, when they're good good with integrating with analytics search console via api calls managing like doing data visualization so when they get really good they become analysts but the the most entry level is a digital marketing assistant and i remember this is a ancient history right so we're talking like maybe seven eight years ago (laughs) one of the applicants i had was an engineer right like one of the applicants i had was an engineer and i remember sitting in the interview like what are you doing here? Like, get out of here. <laughs> right? Like, you're person. an engineer. More of like a yes, technical person. Yes, yes. Like, okay. like because uh, I'm reviewing the resume. He worked with a building company, like like a company of mm. builders, right? He worked mm. with builders. He was a, he was an engineer. He was deployed to the field. They put up residential and commercial spaces. So this is what he does. He's, that guy's an engineer. Like, I'm not sure if, if people know, but if you guys ever know an engineer, they have the most wonderful signatures. I don't know why their signatures are like that, but they're they have the most wonderful signatures. The people, okay. in my opinion, the people with the best signatures anywhere from that. engineers. Yeah, like okay. look at blueprints. For some mm-hmm. reason, their signatures don't look like signatures, they look like icons. It's, it's amazing. Like I love it. So here's this engineer, he's doing an interview. I go like are you sure you're like a five-year experienced engineer and you're asking uh-huh. for an entry-level job, right? So none of Shifting the gears. work history, yeah, none of the work history is a match, but my God, the personality and the values are a match, right? Like I just checked, mm-hmm. I, I test them for the ability to communicate, how curious they are. Did they do any research about us? Are they proactive? Mm-hmm. Do they tend to get victimized? Like, are they techie? Do they use only the default things in their yeah. On their phones, are mm-hmm. they technophobic? Are they excited about technology? So th- these are the things that I check for. Three sixty, and he ticked <laughs> he ticked all the boxes except for wrong background, right? So I go like, you know, you know what? Let's give it a shot. Sure, let's give it a shot, right? And and I never had an employee that was so enthusiastic. Like I swear to God, until he was regular, as I was thinking, oh, this guy's gonna resign on me any day. And he's gonna go. I, know, back I to think being I know where this is going. <laughs> right. He never, he never gave up. Like completed his marketing assistant course, like in record speed. Was a specialist at the point of regularization. Did that and became very good at it for a year. 
in a little shorter, in a period that is shorter than two years. And I guess part of it is because by the time he joined us, he was midway through his career, definitely mm-hmm. more mature than the people in his batch, right? In mm-hmm. two years, he's a team lead. So not only is he an SEO specialist, not only is he a full-fledged SEO specialist that can do keyword research and that's familiar with a dozen tools, that can make mm-hmm. websites faster, that can spot errors on a website, that mm-hmm. can read content and say that's crap, right? Like not only can he do all of that, he could manage people that could do that, right? Like, cool. so I just, wow. Like that was, that was wow. And it's a, it's an example of, of what you're talking about where the guy's motivation was he just had it. Like he just didn't want to be an engineer anymore. It, it didn't blow his whistles. It didn't ring his bells. He wanted he, it. He, he wanted, yes, he wanted it more than anybody. Right. Yeah. The maturity helped. Like I have to admit the, the maturity helped a lot. It does. There wasn't a lot of immaturity, but. But wow, yeah, like like if that guy came back, I would hire him in a heartbeat, right? And you know, as is, you know, as is the problem, most of the time when true logic winds up on their resume, they get a pretty nice premium from outside. <laughs> so you can't hold on to them forever, but my God, like what a story, right? Like so one of the best, I, I think we worked together for like four years. I loved it. We are still in touch. We still see each other every now and then. Mm-hmm. But it's a great example of what you were talking about where, where you said, you know, just do it. Like, don't analysis paralysis. By the way, he didn't really do any super hard thinking on, you know what, I'm going to be, I'm going to do digital marketing and I'm going to specialize in SEO. He didn't do that. He just thought like, I'm done with engineering, like anywhere but here. You know what, what's that company over there? I'm going to go <laughs> And he learned to love it. Like he learned to love it and he applied himself and he did very well. Very right? Like, so it's very similar to this thing that you're talking about. And that wouldn't happen if you didn't give him a break. Right. It works two right. ways. Well, That's a missing right. element. Well, you gave him a well, break. So to me, I don't think giving him a break was an act of generosity. I think, I think, and most young people, I think need to understand this. Companies that are serious about their core values will discover whether you align to their values or not. And companies that are serious with their core values will hire you for core values. They will not hire you for background because I think we've already accepted, like especially in the digital marketing industry, we know people are not going to graduate BS SEO, right? Like BS AdWords management, BS AB and social media. No offense to social media people, but it, it requires a lot of art and you know psychology i I heard heard a laugh (laughs) (laughs) i'm not you know not crashing on anybody but sure a people don't graduate a b social media right like we we don't graduate bs web development web design so i think every digital marketing company has has accepted we're never going to hire people that are turnkey we are going to have to teach them every digital marketing company is going to have a dojo where where people can learn the skills and sharpen the skills. So I think as a as a business and then as an industry we've come to accept that. So hiring for values I would say as an industry is more important to us than anything else. And like that it's more important way. to us than anything else. That should be the way because most of, you know, still people are, you know, are still eyeing with that because it's like plug and play. They're not willing to to train people because you know um, they need to onboard someone. I need the skills, right? But it's very so, seldom that people right. would you know work on you know give these people attention 
when they see the willingness, they train. Right. And, you know, I think that's, uh, you, you cannot train for that, right? Like, you can train for skill, you cannot train for will. There you go. Yes. I owe you one more answer because you, you oh, go asked for it. me two points. Yeah. So first is um, just do it. And second, before you offer services to others, try it with your own account. Build your own oh, experience. By yeah. Because that's my experience. Right. I tried it with my own account. I started with LinkedIn. Right. Then, then I, I actually see a lot of the content you 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 publish on LinkedIn. So that raises another question with me. How much of the content that you experiment with that you try out do you make publicly openly available? And then how many of them do you charge for a premium? You never charge it for a premium unless it's for a specific business. Like most of the exactly. time when you do content, yeah. you do it for altruism. I do it for free. Um, I mean, well, mm. it's this is an open secret. I mean, of course I would I would have them scheduled. Of course, I would take time right. at night to answer the comments. And right. then, you know, those are for free. Those are nuggets. And then I would right. carry on, you know, once I get inbound, um, increase them. Right. There you go. And so that makes sense. I also teach sales. And in sales, we have we have a technique. It's a concept called you offer value first, mm-hmm. right? Because as social animals, we tend to be reciprocal, right? And so when when people execute an amount of goodwill, like take, for example, creating really valuable content and putting it out there for free, not putting it behind a paywall, people usually want to return the goodwill that you do, right? So that that's excellent. I think that will sort of wrap up this episode. Thanks for tuning in to the True Logic DX podcast, an audio production show for people who want to take their digital marketing game to the next level. True Logic DX is powered by Pod Machine. If you enjoyed today's episode, follow at TrueLogic on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Check out our website at www.truelogic.com.ph for more information on digital marketing. And make sure to catch our upcoming episodes on your favorite podcast network. Until next time, 